Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. Verse 18, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, to the blackness, the darkness, and tempest. Uh, you have not come to this mountain. With the mountain that's being described as what? Sinai. Right? Where does this take place? We see in Exodus 19. We'll, we'll, we'll reference it in a second here. But this is uh, Moses and the children of Israel coming before the mountain where the living God is dwelling. And, he's, and he is so holy and so powerful and it's terrifying. Again, we'll read the account in a second here. But he's saying, you have not come to the mountain that may be touched. He's speaking of Zion, but it's a heavenly vision. This is not something where we can tangibly touch it and grab it. This is something way different. And remember, the context is the Hebrews are looking back at the old covenant like it was something to go back to. So he's like, do you remember how terrifying the mountain was? Do you remember how terrifying the holiness of God is apart from Christ? Do you remember? I mean, it is powerful. And so do you remember the awe that you're supposed to have, that that this was a gnarly situation? So the old covenant, there was issues, but we're now living in the new covenant where Jesus died on the cross. The the approach to God before was terrifying. His holiness was intimidating. And, And like we said last week, this is a call for us to be brought in to holiness. Now we're, because what we're going to see is, uh, even though the, the children of Israel saw this great spectacle of God and his holiness, even though it was terrifying, even though like, uh, as we'll see, animals, if they touch, they're dead. If you go in in the wrong way, you're dead. It didn't motivate people to holiness, necessarily. I mean, the fear alone wasn't enough, because like a month later or so, they're making a golden calf. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is the transition, what you guys, what we really need to see is transformation in your life. That the holiness that is around you, it's not just around you, but it's now inside of you. That this is now being done in you. Because just like us, it's not the fear, just like the fear of God alone that draws us to him, but it's his kindness that draws us to repentance. Because God's been so gracious and kind to us. And as we trust that and believe that, and then we submit our lives to him, not just out of fear, right? Because fear can have its motivation. You know, if you do that, you know, listen up. You go, well, that only works as long as it's right in front of you. Eventually, your desires to do the thing will outweigh that. What we need is our desires to change. And how does that happen? By a transformed life. So we're going to be looking at the contrast of Sinai, which pictures the old covenant of God where he's dwelling among the people, which is a big deal, right? Because when God is with them, good things are happening. Uh, But there is an absolute, there is a wall of separation. I mean, literally there is. There's a curtain where the Holy of Holies, where, you know, God is dwelling among them. And the only way his presence is in there and the only way you can be be, uh, approached is with great caution and care. So now we have this new opportunity through what Jesus has done, where, remember, when he died, the veil's torn in two. So now we get to enter in. We have like this whole, oh, it's so beautiful. So this is a contrast from old to new. 
So old, remember, you guys remember how terrifying it all was. That's, that's the point. Remember this. And it's also important to understand that there's an even higher standard now because the law and all of its provisions are done away with. Like that's all passed away. So now you really got to be holy if you think you're going to come like that. And so what does it mean when we approach God without the blood of Jesus, where we think so flippantly, we could, well, we, we know as we're going to be making an account and we come before the Lord and judgment day, what, what is going to be the judgment factor of those who spend eternity with Jesus and those who don't? What did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? What did you do, what did you do with the sacrifice, the provision that I made for you? And so the, the, whatever provision was there before, and it was so limited anyway, there's no going back to that. So there's an even higher standard for holiness. Uh, you can't draw near to God, but now we can because of what took place. Verse 19, and the sound of trumpets, the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. You get the gravity it's important for us to read these kind of passages because it gives us the gravity of, kind of gets us out of that mindset of Jesus is my homeboy. You know, like, oh, God, yeah, me and God are pretty cool. Like, he just kind of lets me do my thing, you know? It's all good. Like, it's like well, this, is, this, this really focuses our attention of like, wow, I can't believe you want to hang out with me. <laughs> I can't believe it was your idea. Exodus 19, we'll read through it because we're gonna have to keep moving. There's a lot here, obviously. Starting at verse 16, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning, it's interesting, there were thunderings and lightnings, a thick cloud on the mountain. The sound of trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain. Moses went up and the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn all the people, lest they break through and gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests come near the Lord, that come near the Lord, consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. So we see, that it's a sobering view of holiness and sin. This is a sobering way to look at this. Just how offensive sin is to the holiness of God. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's so easy to become laxed in our, our approach and to become kind of almost like, ah, it's no big deal, ah, it's all good. Thankfully, we have Jesus as our high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been tempted, he gets all of it. But it's important to recognize that the holiness of God is no joke and he's no less holy. He's no less powerful than he was before. This is what it looks like with man separated from God. This is, this is the, 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 pic, the, the image. This is it. I mean, it, can you, you can almost smell it. You can almost fear, feel the fear. 
They like don't even want to hear it. Like we can't, I don't want to hear what you have to say because it was, the, the words alone were like condemning. It's just the pureness and holiness of God. It's wild. Verse 20, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. Exodus 34, 3 says, no man shall come up with you. Let no man uh, be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. Not even the animals were allowed to come up in the wrong way. Verse 21, and so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Well, we see actually uh, before this took place, Moses is just in awe of God, right? The burning bush, Exodus 3. Moreover, he said, I am the God. So this is the God speaking to Moses. I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Awe and reverence. And we need more of this in our lives, of who God is. We just do. Because we live in a very laxed culture, a laxed church culture. You know, everything's kind of taken lightly. And, and, and this is a, a shot across the bow. This is the same God. Yes, you are allowed access in. Yes, you've been given opportunity in. But don't forget that this God that we serve is holy and powerful and, and, and beyond comparison and not to be mocked in any way, whether by our words or by our lifestyle. This is sobering. And so there's a bunch of fear, but again, it, the fear wasn't enough. They needed a better solution. So here we go. Verse 22 is the shift to Zion. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable con- company of angels. Huge shift here. We've come to a different kind of mountain. So we have Mount Zion, city of living God, heavenly Jerusalem. These are like synonymous terms seemingly. There are all these different terms that are speaking to a heavenly city. Uh, in, in Revelation chapter 21, we see of the new Jerusalem. Uh, where there, this is, uh, the city is our current and our future hope. It, it's, it's heaven come on earth. It's the inaugurated kingdom. It's begun, yes, and it's, and it's going to continue to go. And, and we know one day it's going to reach its completion. Sin is dealt with. All of it's dealt with. So this is the place. Who are the residents? We start with, there's angels. Um, Sinai, it was like there was angels who had come and, and helped to deliver the law. Well, we have, what do we have? How many angels? An innumerable company of angels. This is, what we, this is what we have in Zion, an innumerable company of angels. Verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. So the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. So we have the angels, we have believers, we have those from the past. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the just men made perfect. The, the glory of God, the glory of what he's done. This is the heart change transition where God is, may, is making us in that process of sanctification, right? So the process of being saved or salvation starts with us being justified, God justified us by Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. 
So now we've been made just before God. So the next process is sanctification. And this is a continual process. There's transform, also transformation is part of this. Our lives are transformed. That's why if we uh, see, we don't see transformation in our lives, we have to ask, what, there's something missing here. Because there should be, people should be able to look back and be like, you used to be like a different person. Not like you have like a different accent or whatever, you change your name or something. But there should be a, a measurable difference from your life before to your life now. And we, we talked a little bit about this last week where it was the peace that we have and the holiness in our lives that make it so that both we can see God and the others can see God in our lives. So there needs to be an actual transformation process. This will be played out through our whole lives through the process of sanctification. Sanctified means being set apart. You're bring, you were here, you're brought over here. We mentioned it last week, holiness. The holiness of a plate that's used or whatever is used in the temple was that it was set apart and separated for a good work. It was cleansed, it was made new, and now it was useful in a new setting, that it was set apart for a better thing. That's exactly what he does in our lives. Sets us apart and transforms us and now gives us a new place. You know, you think about like, Man, imagine being that plate. You know, now we're looking at like, this is basically um, Beauty and the Beast situation, you know, where they're singing and stuff like that. You know, plate, if the plates are happy, you know. But you're just a plain old plate, you know, you just whatever all the time. And now that plate has been brought in and it's been cleansed and it's gone through all the stuff that it needs to go through. And now it's used in an, in, to honor God in all the symbolism and all the beauty of everything that was involved in the tabernacle and later the temple. Now that's what happens in us, in our lives. We're now, we're plain, we're common. That's the, it's holy and common. We were all common. We're born common. And then God sets us apart and sanctifies us to make us something much different. And this is where we see the defined purpose in our lives, where he's set us apart for good works that he's prepared for us. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So to Jesus, the mediator, he's the one that, that he brokered the deal. <laughs> he's the one that went right between. He's the mediator of the new covenant. He is the way. So if you're, if you're, ever, if you're trying to get to God without Jesus, can I ask why? What is so offensive about Jesus who comes to, to, to save the lost, to die for those who hated him, to promise life when there was nothing but death, who spoke truth? Yet, even while he was healing people from gnarly sicknesses, people wanted to kill him. Even while he was uh, bringing hope to the hopeless, they wanted to get rid of him. And, and that, even in and of itself, is an indication as to the real battle and the enmity between the flesh and the spirit, the, the, what's going on in Sinai. I just, that sin is not a little tiny thing. There's actually a raging monster in our lives 
looking to devour. What does Satan come to do? To steal and to kill and to destroy. And so what does sin do? It separates us from God and alienates us from him and his people. And then we're, we're just, we're like putty, Play-Doh in the hands of the one who's come to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to bring life as the mediator, as the one that goes before us through the blood, the blood of the new covenant. That's what it's all about. Remember the, the, uh, the Mosaic or the Sinai covenant, old covenant? It was still about blood, but it was the blood of animals. And so he brings up Abel. Well, what was Abel's sacrifice? Abel, you know, Cain brought some fruit. He's like, here, God, here's, I got some peaches that fell on the ground, you know. Be stoked, man. And Abel brought the firstborn of his, of the, of his uh, flock. And, and so God honored Abel, not Cain. Of course, Cain was very upset. And what does he do? He kills his brother. So There's that element of it. So yes, the blood of Jesus is far greater than the blood of the animals that would, you know, work as a a covering for for sin. This, This now is like a cleansing, the blood that cleanses us completely and thoroughly, not just for like a sin or these 10 sins or these 20 sins, but for like all of them and also ourselves personally, individually, who we are. That's making us new, bringing us to newness of life. But also, when you're looking at the blood, we're talking about like the blood of Abel. What else is going on? If you read in Genesis chapter four, uh, the Lord said to Cain, "Where's your brother Abel, your brother?" He says, "Hey, where's your brother? Hey, where's Abel, your brother? I've been looking for him. Where, where's he at?" And what does Abel say? You know, this, this shows you exactly how arrogant sin makes us. Because Abel's talking to God. I mean, I mean, Cain's talking to God. He says, am I my brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? There's, there's so much arrogance in that. By the way, do you think he doesn't know? Have you not heard the story from your parents? Quick, grab some leaves. Oh, uh, what fruit are you talking about? I have no idea. And their mouth's like stained with whatever it is. Why you got leaves on anyway? Ah, you know. So what happens? Verse 10, he says, and he said, what have you done? And then here's the key. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What's the blood of Abel? The blood of longing for justice. The blood of innocent martyrs the blood of those who died in innocence, the blood of of tragedy of mankind and sin. This This is brutal. This is so sad. And you know what the Lord says? I can hear the cries of his blood. What's the blood of Jesus? He died to justify not just to bring, just, to justify, to bring now new hope. Not just, this isn't the blood of the martyr of the one that has, has died and, you know, poor victim. This is the blood of the victor. 
So the same way, the blood, and, and what do we see? This is really interesting. Because whenever we think of, okay, Jesus, okay, when he was here before, he was like super mellow and mild and, and the, the slain lamb. And oh, man, you know, he was just, he was just so nice. And so he was so hippie kind of too, you know. Mr. Rogers meets Bob Ross, you know, somewhere in there, you know. <laughs> but, but when he comes back in Revelation, gnarly, you know. Well, it's interesting. What do we see in Revelation? Revelation chapter 5, verse 4. So I wept much, this is John speaking, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seals. Yes, the lion, you know, (laughs) He's here. Verse six, and I looked and, now this is surprising. Behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures in the midst of all the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. See, I think we still view what Jesus did on the cross as weakness, and it is not. The blood of Jesus is the victor. This is the victory. This is, this is, this is the apex, the change, and it is because of the blood. Later on in Revelation chapter 19, you're like, okay, well, what about Jesus when he's on the horse? That's majestic. Let's go. Verse 11, now I saw heaven opened, And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, yes, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a a robe, what? Dipped in blood. This 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 was the victory. This is the apex So how dare, I mean, this is the thing where we look back and we look at what Jesus did on the cross and see it as like, I can't see it as anything other than amazing. The blood of Abel, the blood of all the victims and the martyrs and those who died in faith, all were looking forward to an end. They could not see that there would be another martyr that would die not as a victim, but as a victor. That Jesus, by his blood, would resurrect and save all of us. So this is why church isn't a happy-go-lucky, be nice, high five, everybody's, everybody just try and look your best when you're here, wear your Sunday best, and just hold it together, suck it in, and as soon as you get in the car, let loose. No, we are transformed, and that process of transformation is, is, is continuing on through sanctification. Our heart is changed from stone to flesh We now can feel, we now can sense. We've been given the Holy Spirit that's ministering to us, that's convicting the world of sin. It's not all done at once, it's a process and we submit ourselves to the process and submitting ourselves to the process is called faith. As you're speaking to me and convicting me, Lord, faith says, I believe what you're saying to me and then that faith is worked out in our actions and the new year will be in James. That's a lot about actions. And people have issues with that a lot of the times. We shouldn't. 
We shouldn't because that is a, a natural conclusion of faith is an active faith. But it's done in the process of us saying, I submit, I believe. So, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name was called the Word of God. Oh, this is so beautiful. And just suck in, just think about this majesty here. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. That's, that's, he can speak with clarity and he can, he can cut right to the core. And with it, he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with an rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the almighty God. And, and he has on his robe, uh, on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the end of it all. So Jesus, even when he's in this place of judgment, is still marked by the blood. He's still marked by the blood. This is what he's known for. This is like he, he's so despising the shame. Look forward to what would take place. He is not a victim. He is a victor. I want to spend more time on this, but we're going to move on here. <laughs> see that you do not, verse 25, see that you not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Everything that's foundation is not right. There will be a final sifting. Where is our hope? Where is our peace? You know, where, where, where do we find our identity? There is, a sh there is a shaking that takes place that reveals to us who we really are and what we really believe. And that final shaking is going to take place in the form of judgment, too. That it's going to show that what did we build? What, what is the stuff that we've cared about? What is the stuff that we valued? Verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve acceptably with reverence and godly fear. What a privilege to have our citizenship be in heaven. What a privilege to have our lives be able to be built on the rock Unshakable by unshaken by earthly struggles and fears and strength. Not to say that we don't have these things, but they don't guide and rule us. They don't, they don't run our lives because our foundation isn't built here. You know, where, wherever your investment, wherever you invest, it's obvious because you see how much you know you care. It's, it's, it's clear, right? This is the story about Solomon, right? Where he, uh, you know, there was the, the child, there's two children, the one died, the mom said, it's my child, the other one said, it's my child. He says, well, let's just cut the baby in half and then we'll decide, you know, we'll give half to one and half to the other. And one lady's like, sounds good to me. 
And the other one says, no, 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 I'd rather have him live with you. He said, well, that's the mother. Why? Because there's investment in that child, and it's obvious. So what's interesting to us is the things that shake us, the things that bring great fear to us, the things that make us think God's not on the throne, he's not here, he can't cover this part of our lives. These are indications of shaking in our lives that our foundation isn't where it's supposed to be. This is a gift, in a sense. That you, there's a rumbling that's going like, that's the sand. Don't build on that. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's, you're letting that control you too much. So how do we, how do we deal with this? Well, we build and, and we invest into eternity. We build differently in light of where we're at and what we're going through. So where do we build? Where moth and rust and don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. This is why it's so wise to put our, our, our attention to heavenly things because you're, you're putting it somewhere where the market swaying one way or the other, it's never gonna be changed. It's like, and there's like interest, you know? <laughs> It's, it's the best possible place where you can put your, the valuable things of life. But everything around us is saying, no, 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 don't do that. Your best life now, this is heaven. You gotta live it up. You can't miss one thing here on earth. I believe Christians should live lives of adventure and fun. And I think following Jesus is the most incredibly radical, wild life you could possibly live. It's like living in a constant treasure hunt. You're just constantly finding things, wow, God met me there, whoa, he spoke to me there, whoa, this is a divine you know, intervention or divine appointment. Like how in the world did that happen? How did this happen? Whoa, I went to church, someone spoke to me. The conversation I had asked afterwards, I was used to speak to them by God. How cool is that? We should live lives of adventure. We should have a lot of fun. We should be funny and have fun and laugh and all those things. So this isn't like a, a call to, you know, asceticism or asceticism where we're like, everything out there is bad. You know, as Christians, let's let our light shine. Okay. Yeah. No, we're, we're to be known as like some of the lightest people. But you know what's, you know, light, we're light. Because God wins. You know, whatever happens here, he wins. You know, the, okay, whatever. So what? It's here and then it's gone. You know, he gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, I, I, and it's like, oh, that's so easy to say. But it, it will be impossible to say if our foundations aren't set right. It will not work at all. It will never work. And so God so lovingly reminds us sometimes, yeah, you're trying to look for peace here you're not going to find it like that. Oh, you're trying to look for purpose here. You're not going to find it like that. You're trying to look for a, a belonging here. Yeah, and that won't give it to you. You're trying to find your identity over here. It's, you're not going to find it. So let me shake it to show you this is not the way. This is not how you do it. So we were able to, uh, because we're part of the kingdom of God, we've we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. That's, that's so beautiful. It's the fail-safe. It's the fireproof safe, you know. If they are fireproof, but this is like the real one. 
that we can invest our most valuable parts of ourselves somewhere where it's completely safe. And that is in him, in eternity, in heaven. Investing in Jesus's, the kingdom that Jesus has established. What does he say? Let us have grace. Let us have grace, recognizing God's goodness and his holiness. Grace motivates us. Let us have grace by which we may serve God exceptionally, acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Let us have grace that we may serve God, the, the grace that motivates us to, to serve God because he's been so good to us. You're just like overwhelmed with the goodness of God. And that's the grace we have to come back to like time and time again, like every day. Oh, the goodness of God. You just, his grace like washes over us every day. Like, yep, mm -hmm, you see it all and you're still working with me and you're still showing favor to me and you still love me and you're still, you know, you're just, we can't fathom a God like that. So uh, I don't think we're really even supposed to, we're just supposed to be in awe. But that awe is supposed to motivate in us actions that line up with that, that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Reverence is like modesty. That's humility. That we'd serve God with like humility. We got to think about like, I'm serving you with humility. Like, what do I have that you didn't give me? We can be really cocky and arrogant about what we build. Oh, I built a, you know, built stronger muscles or I built a business or I built a, you know, whatever. I built a family or whatever. You're like, that'll, like that. You stop breathing, it's over. You've been given the breath to breathe. And there's people's stories that it's in just like that. And like, out of nowhere, like, what in the world? We, 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 everything we do is with humility and modesty. And what? Fear or awe, recognizing how big God is, especially looking back at Sinai, like, let us, Lord, restore to us the awe of who you are, which will do two things. One, it'll, it'll make us go, whoa, holiness is way more cool than I thought because it's way gnarlier and heavier. And also, we'll be just even more overwhelmed by the grace of God in our lives. Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the same God. The, and I, I use this term, I don't want it to sound bad, terrifyingly holy. Like in the sense of like it is, it is heavy and powerful, yet gracious. That we're now told by the blood of Jesus to draw near. There's no return to the terrifying, frustrating version of worship and relationship that was taking place at Mount Sinai. There's no going backwards. Usually we find ourselves when we want to go backwards, it's because we are sick of things being hard. And that's not, God didn't promise to give us easy life. In fact, he promised the opposite. It's like, it's not going to be easy, but it will be worth it. It will be rad. It will be good. You think back about the times in your life of the easiest times and the hardest times and the easy times. You don't go, man, I just remember that summer where I did nothing. 
that was like the high point of my life. I logged in Xbox hours at a rate that no one could ever imagine. I built the best NCAA college football team ever. Man, what a, what a, I want that to be on my tombstone. No, it's, it's, it's the ventures of faith. It's the hard seasons. It's the struggles that God uses to produce in us something really beautiful. And then he uses that thing in us to minister to others. These are the landmark things. This is why people celebrate climbing Mount Everest. You know how many people die climbing Mount Everest? A lot. And I've been told you see them as you're, they're like, it's like that alone. It's like enough from, no thank you, you know? Halloween's got plenty of that, but like these are, this is not cool, man. But why do people do it? Because it's, it's an accomplishment. There's something about that, that the pain and the struggle that's, that you find out like more about yourself and where we really, the Lord wants to use us and he's going to put us in situations that are way uncomfortable to show us that he's way more powerful than we think he is, that he's way more trustworthy than we think he is, that he can give peace in places we did not think it was possible. And even though our summer where everything was chill and everything looked peaceful, we were reconciled. And yet, he could take you to the edge of the earth where there's guns drawn all around you and you can have peace. How can this be? Because this is who the God that we've been called to serve and worship. And he says, you were created for me. You were created to have a relationship with me. So the answer for everything you're looking for is found in a relationship with me. So build and invest accordingly. With that in mind. Recognizing that he is, in fact, a consuming fire, holiness, purity, power, yet kindness, grace. This should just absolutely help us align our lives. Both the power of God and the grace of God. He's so big and he's so gnarly, but he loves me and he's gracious with me and he cares about me. What an amazing God to serve so in closing, I have a couple of kind of, you know, opposite sides of, you know, where we can contrast. Sinai and Zion are the old and the new covenant. Sinai is a place that could be physically touched, but not really. Remember, it talks about Zion. Yeah, you can't really touch it. It's the heavenly. You couldn't really because there's no place for you really to go. If you're in your sin, Zion, a heavenly place that can be experienced forever. Sinai equaled alienation from God. There was an alienation because of our, the sin. His holiness is terrifying. And yet, even with all of that, the fear did not motivate them to stay pure enough. They built an idol. They constantly walked away from the Lord, decided to do their own thing again and again and again. Zion, we're now told to come boldly into the throne of grace. That we have a mediator. We have a high priest that's gone before us. God is worth working. So, you know, like for Sinai, we're not becoming more holy by just being scared of God. That's why I think it's, it, it can work when you do the whole uh, apologetics and you go like scaring people into heaven, scaring them out of hell. I don't know of many people that stick around with that, though. 
oh my gosh, I better get this right. You know, that's the get out of jail free card or heaven, heaven, you know, get out of hell free card. Heaven citizenship, you know. But we're told to come boldly. God is working his holiness in us. His kindness leads us to repentance. We live lives and we experience lives that are transformed. Maybe there's people in here like, I need a transformed life. Can I encourage you? God wants to do it. He wants to transform our lives. He wants to start the process of transformation with our heart and as our mind is changing. And then as we continue to invest in, in heavenly things, as we continue to trust him in faith and our actions line up with that, we will see a radical transformation in our life. I know some of you. You guys are transformed. You're like, man, that makes it sound like I was bad. Yes, it does. And so was I. There's something really cool about someone saying, I, you don't even seem like the same person. You're like, well, thank you. You know, this is just a sign of the goodness of God. Sinai, holiness is a problem. Zion, holiness is the solution. As far as relationship with God, you know, Sinai, law, law delivered by a few angels. Zion, it's inhabited by like many, 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 many. The small to the big, the, 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 the shadow to the real thing. Sinai, it's blood seeking justice in Abel, the victim that God sees and hears. Zion, the blood that justifies the victor, Jesus. Sinai and Zion, judge, and, and honestly, in the Old Testament, God was so gracious with the children of Israel. You think, oh, Old Testament, God's just judgment. No, he was so gracious. Even Moses like, would you be cool if we did this? And, and you see Abraham, and he's like, I'm gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's like, right, 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 but... What if there's some in there that are like not bad? And he's like, yeah, okay. He's like, what if there's this many? How about less? How about less? And he's like, yeah, 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 no, I wouldn't destroy it for that. Gets whittled down to like there's really not many. But God is, was gracious in the Old Testament, and yes, his judgment was, was legit. He is gracious in the new covenant, and yes, his judgment is legit. It's the same God. Yesterday, today, forever. And he is a consuming fire. What does fire do? It purifies, burns away. I like watching old blacksmith videos sometimes. It's really fun to watch. You see the, put the, put the stuff in, you see it turn molten and all that, or gold especially. You see gold, well, they bring it in and they, they heat it up and all of a sudden the impurities start boiling up and burning out and all that stuff. And what's left is solid gold because it's been burned by that fire of judgment. Our God is a consuming fire. So let this uh, target our minds or uh, let this, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, let, let this be important in the forefront of our minds that our God is a holy, consuming fire that will not be mocked, that stands and sees and hears all but that he is so loving and kind towards us that he's opened up to us an opportunity, not just for heaven one day, but that he would transform our lives here and now. 
and work with us to be part of what he's doing here on the earth as ambassadors of his kingdom, as peace to the world, bringing peace to the world, showing his holiness to the world, that our lives of faith would have a real effect on the world around us. That was a lot of verses. Uh, <laughs> but it's, I, I want to get through all of it because it all ties together and it's so beautiful. And it reminds us of the, the greatness and awe and fear and amazement of God and yet the personal kindness and tenderness of God that he loves each person here and he knows everything that's going on in your life. Every little thing you're struggling with, every little question you have, he has is, is the resources to answer and meet you in those places. So he's so, so, so big that he's able to affect everything and, and do big things all over the world and keep the world spinning and everything. And yet he's so personal that he knows exactly what makes you tick and has the best plans for you. He's better than any father that you could imagine on earth. What a God we serve, right? Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless. Thank you.